Welcome to His Hands, His Feet podcast, where we encourage, equip, and compel you to live a life on mission. On this podcast, you will find discussions about a life sent, whether that is across the world, across town, across the street, or simply within your own home. And I am your host, Kenneth Camp. Well, and the reality is the system, like the facility, it's not there to transform that kid to make him that model citizen. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they want it to be, but ultimately it's not because it show, the statistics show they didn't work, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'll go into jail and I'll be doing a Bible study with a group of 16-year-old kids, and I'll ask every one of them, how many times have you been arrested? Mm-hmm. Seven. I'm like, wow. when you walked out the seventh time, when you walked out the front door, what did you say? And without fail, they all say, I'm never coming back to this place. And I'm like, and yet here you are. What happened? Well, I got out, started hanging around the same people. On today's episode, you get to hear from the founder and the jobs director of a ministry here in the Austin area called Nineveh Ministries, or as they like to call it now, Jail to Jobs. I agree with them when they say that most aren't willing to do what they are doing because it really is hard and it gets messy a lot. But I'll tell you this, I am glad that they are willing Listen in as we hear from Chris and Eddie with Nineveh Ministries today. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Good to be here with you guys. I'm sitting here with Chris Haskins and Eddie, what's your last name? Franz. Franz. Yes, sir. And I'm just going to give you guys an opportunity to just tell us a little bit more about who you are uh, besides just your name. So, Chris, we'll start with Sure. Yeah. Chris Haskins. I'm... uh, Founder, I always find titles to be a little bit weird, but uh, yeah. founder of Nineveh Ministries and Jail the Jobs. I've cool. come up with a secondary uh, title lately that <laughs> it works well in jail called a shot caller. <laughs> it's, it's on his business card, too. Is it really? Yeah, yes. familiar with that term? Well, shot caller, yeah. I mean, you know, but yeah. I'm, not following, I'm not following you on that. So, yeah, and, you know, if, you hand out, if I hand out my card in jail, a lot of times, what does founder mean? But for them, it's like, oh, a shot caller. Okay, got it. You're, <laughs> you're the sort boss. of a decision maker. <laughs> yeah, okay, got it. Right. <laughs> well, I'm with you now. Thanks yeah. for educating me on this. Yeah. <laughs> There's, we have conversations about what that term means quite often when he hands it to somebody that's not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> shot caller, what is that? Well, see, see, my dad, my grandfather was a, a dog trainer. Okay. You know, bird dog trainer. And so that's where I go is like a shot caller. Yeah. Like with a, with, you know, with a dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, a shot caller is somebody that... that, that Calls the shots technically yeah. and, oh, and shot callers like yeah. like technically yeah. we want to shoot this guy is it okay I'm getting you now see yeah. I was here in shock oh no S H O C K yeah that totally different that's probably totally yeah that's, that's a shock caller yeah yeah we don't want this that. is a shot <laughs> yeah. caller yeah. Yeah, I'm following you yeah. shot so you are the shot caller that's it <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so my name's Eddie Franz. I'm the program director at Jail Jobs. Um, yeah, and mine just says program director. <laughs> I wanted Supreme Overlord, but it got vetoed. Oh, man. I like that one, too. <laughs> now, now you got my wheels turning. What do I need to put on my card? Yeah. It? All right, well, so how did you guys, um, I guess, Chris, this will be for you. How did you start Nineveh, uh, what you're now calling Jail Jobs? Yeah, I feel like... Uh, Starting this was a kind of a culmination of what God was doing in my life for about 30 years. I was a kid that was uh, got in a lot of trouble and was arrested in and, and gangs when I was younger and um, became a Christian and had a radical life transformation and just kept sticking around um, 
uh, church, but I thought I wanted to be a cop, so I got a degree in criminal justice. Um, I felt like God was calling me later to the ministry, and I became a youth pastor, and I did that for about 10 years. So it was through uh, moving here from Southern California and ministering here that we got a volunteer effort going on in jail. That's that's kind of where it, it really got its own life, and it was like, wow, there's a big need inside jail um, for ministry, maybe mm-hmm. some like somewhat like uh, what I was doing in youth ministry, because they're still youth, but mm-hmm. specifically tailored for them. So you kind of answered that next question a little bit, but who is it that you, you primarily serve? Is it yeah. juvenile? So we serve, we're coining a term a little bit, youthful offender. So yes, we do mm-hmm. juvenile offender. Basically, there's no bottom age. You can be arrested at Typically, eight would be about the youngest you could, um, and we we've seen. And it happens often. Yeah, we see ten and eleven year olds pretty regularly, hmm. um, and then in Texas right now, um, a juvenile offender runs through sixteen at seventeen. You're an adult, so okay. we've sort of stretched those a little bit because of our long term approach with working with younger people. They turn sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, so we actually work it with them uh, through their young twenties. And what's the youngest, again, that y'all work with? Well, in our programming, like, when we go into a facility, you know, there's typically 10 and 11-year-olds there all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's where, you know, we can really start to to bring them a different idea about where they're heading. Mm -hmm. Um, But we go from anywhere from 10 all the way up to 21, 22 years old. Because ultimately, I mean, if you've been doing drugs... Um, you've had trauma in your life, you've been in and out of the system, mm-hmm. chances are you're probably not mature at 21 years old. And so we wanted to make sure that we're still there to support them even into their yeah. young adult years, you could say. So when you say facility, we're, you know, what are these like? I mean, we're, they're, y'all are in Texas, mm-hmm. and so these are youth facilities? Correct, yeah. And we, we use the, your term uh, facility generically okay. because they're um, each – each term, juvenile uh, detention facility, mm-hmm. jail, prison, um, mm-hmm. these aren't interchangeable. They mean very different, different things. So okay. obviously juveniles is for a juvenile. They are very specific that this is not supposed to be punitive in any way, so they don't ever want to call it jail. Mm-hmm. Jail is a county facility. Um, there are some state jails. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prison is typically a state facility. Okay. Yeah, so we will go um, into a juvenile detention center, a county jail, or even the state jail facilities to reach these young men and women, mm-hmm. teenage rehabs. Um, we've even started doing mentor programs in high school with kids that are getting in trouble there. Um, so when we say facility, it can mean a very wide mm-hmm. range of things. Um, but typically in your mind, you're thinking like a lockup facility, right? With like right. A juvenile detention center. Right. Um, and it's... It's it's kind of different than you would think of in the jail. It's like sm- it's almost like a college dorm room mm-hmm. feel for the residential side, where they're they're lo- they're there for over two months. Okay. Um, there's five rooms, one kid per room, and mm-hmm. a small day room, and okay. and that's it's it's very institutional feeling, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. It doesn't feel like a county jail or a state prison like you see on television. So, so y'all establish a relationship as early as you can. Sounds like y'all continue that relationship even after they are not in any kind of facility. Is that Correct. right? Yeah. And the reason that this got started was there was uh, about, I don't know if it was uh, 15, 20 years ago, there were some major budget cuts throughout Texas uh, in the mm-hmm. juvenile world, mm-hmm. and then uh, therefore chaplains were eliminated. Mm-hmm. So what happened when that 
is there was a huge ministry opportunity there and if people did not go into the facility to share the gospel to pray with Mm -hmm. kids it wasn't going to happen so um, it was almost like discovering um, you know like a a missionary discovering a country that was being unreached like wait a minute Mm -hmm. this is down the street here and we have a population of people who are not hearing the gospel. And it's actually, they don't even have the option to hear it unless people go in. Yeah, so these kids, it was like that void that whatever they're struggling with, that you kind of described, a lot of those things, and there's nobody stepping into that void. Well, yeah, and it's crazy, too, because you think about the adult prison system. They have a legal right to worship whatever Mm -hmm. religion they want. Mm -hmm. And a chaplain has to provide them all of these things. Every state prison that you'll ever be to, every federal prison... You can worship any religion you want, and they have to go and provide you with the stuff. Mm-hmm. But with juveniles, they literally, it was a budget cut item where they're like, nah, we don't need a chaplain. And and you got 12, 13, 14-year-old kids who have the faith of a child still. Mm-hmm. They have no hope, and they know that they're kind of messed up. And they're, and that's like a perfect opportunity to come in and, and bring them something that can transform their lives. And they just did away with it. It, it, it boggles my mind that... <laughs> That's a right for an adult, but for a child, we're like, ah, oh, they don't need that. And you would think that it would be completely opposite. It was right. still strange, strangely, you know, it's still a part of their Bill of Rights, their Juvenile Bill of Rights, that they can have that. But again, because of their naivety or because of their just – they don't even think a lot of times to ask for it. Um, sure. So yeah. it, Most of them have never been to church outside of a funeral or Easter or something mm-hmm. like that. So when they get there – They'll they'll be praying to God mm. in the three words that they know how to speak to right. Him. Right. But there's there's nobody there instructing and helping and communicating. Where you can really see them grow in that. And so that I think that's one of the the greatest things that we provide in those facilities yeah. is access to know who God is. Mm-hmm. Like just the knowledge of that kind of changes you. So I want to get to that. Yeah. What you guys do and, and how you all minister to these kids. But before we do that, I think it's important from a community standpoint, if we don't, what do y'all see as, you know, what's going to happen if we don't step into that void, in, in y'all's opinion? Well, besides the spiritual impact of mm-hmm. taking thousands of teenagers and not providing the gospel, these people are young, but <laughs> yet many of them are turning into professional criminals. Criminals cost a lot of money. Um, they cost money uh, when they steal our stuff, causes insurance spikes, it costs uh, tax-wise because we need more police officers, we, they, we build more prisons and jails uh, at the price of about $50,000 per kid per year. And beyond all that, it costs uh, you know safety and even lives, their lives and mm. other people's lives as they're endangering themselves. So mm. we need to jump in and intersect this before they really become hardened criminals and it's a lifestyle well and the reality is the system like the facility it's not there to transform that kid to make him that model citizen mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they want it to be but ultimately it's not because it showed the statistics show they didn't work mm-hmm. right and i i'll go into jail and i'll be doing a bible study with a group of 16 year old kids and i'll ask every one of them how many times you've been arrested mm-hmm. seven i'm like oh. when you walked out the seventh time, when you walked out the front door, what did you say? And without fail, they all say, I'm never coming back to this place. And I'm like, and yet here you are. What happened? Well, I got out, 
start hanging around the same people, mm-hmm. start listening to the same music, start mm-hmm. doing the same things. Well, guess what? If you don't change something about what you do, mm-hmm. you're going to stay in that system, stay in that cycle. And, and so if we weren't here, yes, the, the cost of, of all of society goes up with crime and money and taxes and all that. But if, we're, if somebody doesn't meet them, not just in facility, but mm-hmm. the day they get out, mm-hmm. they're coming back. They're coming back because it's already shown that their life is unstable enough or too unstable to, to support, like, transformation. Yeah. They're coming back. And that's just human nature. Yeah. That's, that's true no matter what the struggle is, right? Yep. All right. So walk me through what y'all do, you know, with a kid. Well, let me just – actually, Eddie, would you mind chiming in talking um, yeah. before we do uh, what we do? Mm-hmm. Just sort of, like, who we are, what makes us unique from the standpoint I of, love it, yeah. Uh, Sure. All being criminals ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only job where on my application I was okay with putting that I'm a felon. And he's like, oh, have you been to prison? I was like, yes. He's like, great. That's amazing. It, it doesn't happen often, so I, I love this job. Yeah. Um, no, so I, I grew up um, from the time I moved out of my parents' house, like, doing drugs and selling drugs. I could never really get away from it, and I think it was – I was finding security mm-hmm. in the power that came along with selling drugs. I walk into a party, everybody wanted to hang out with me and talk to me, and there was mm-hmm. there was love and security that I would get from that. Well, it's very destructive, though. Um, and so I, my life ended up, even when I was trying to do good, I could never step away from it. And at the age of 28, I got arrested by the DEA um, for distribution of methamphetamines. And um, you know, I, I was sentenced to 10 years, and I did seven flat. Hmm. And I'll never forget the first day I walked into prison and I didn't like work my way up to prison. I went from nothing to this hmm. seven year sentence that I had to do. And I remember sitting on the balcony of the unit that I was in, um, overlooking the whole compound. And it was lunchtime when I got let out. So everybody was moving around. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting my hands on the, the railing and, and thinking, what did I do? Hmm. What have I done? with my life because I'm thinking I'm not going to get out till I'm 38. Mm-hmm. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have a career. I'm not going to have anything when I get out. And for the first time in my whole life, I started thinking about the consequences of what I did. Mm. And then a guy tapped me on my shoulder. I turned around. And I thought I was going to have to fight, right? Like you mm-hmm. see all the TV shows, sure, yeah. hit the biggest guy you can find. Well, I'm 5'7", and everyone was big to me. So I'm like, this is a horrible idea in reality, right? Great for television, not good in person. So the guy taps me on my shoulder, and I, I spin around, and I guess he could see something in my face because he's like, chill, calm down. Mm. We're not fighting. I was like, what do you want? He's like, you in here for meth? And I was like, yeah, how would you know? He goes, you're white, you have a buzz cut, and a goatee. It's probably not tax fraud, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, this guy, he's, he knows. And I was like, yeah. He's like, did you get the five-year or the 10-year? And I was like, the 10-year? Wow. He's like, come with me. So he takes me into another room where there's 25 other people who look just like me, right? And and he's like, let me introduce you to your your, your brothers. Hmm. And I was like, okay. So at my lowest point, I thought I was alone, no family, no friends, no, no drug dealing homies anymore. Mm-hmm. This guy taps me on my shoulder and brings me into this inner world. Well, I would love it if that dude would have been a Christian, yeah. if that dude would have been a mentor, but he was a gang leader, mm-hmm. right? He saw anger, pain, and 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 just rage in my mm-hmm. face, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm gonna use this guy." Right. 
And so the first person that really spoke to me and spent time with me in prison was a gang member. Mm -hmm. I became a gang member. Mm -hmm. It's that simple, right? And then eventually I became a Christian, like years down the line. But when I got out, I was like, I want to be the first person that that kid talks to. So that they don't become a gang member, they become a Christian, a child of God. And so when Chris hired me to do this job, um, it was kind of just a, a, a perfect storm of just my abilities, my desires, and God's will that came together. And I love what I do because I am one of our kids. Mm-hmm. I'm just older, mm-hmm. <laughs> slower, and my knee hurts really bad. <laughs> but when I see them, I'm like, I don't see some sure. knucklehead that can't be saved. I see myself mm-hmm. before I got to where I got. And I'm yeah. like, man, if we can reach them now, think about what that changes for the whole trajectory of their life, right? Yeah. So I, that's that's why I do what I do, and that's why I love this ministry. Is our jail to job uh, supervisor who spends every day with the kids? He did twice as much prison time as I did, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a there's a a real instant connection that happens with these kids when we tell them where we're from. Yeah, they're like, okay, you get it. Yeah. So I just wanted to hit that because the, yeah. the connectivity of yeah. what, uh, doing that it allows us to overcome a lot of hurdles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is, the system is set up that if you're a criminal, and probably wisely so, from the standpoint of helping other people, you're not allowed to be around other criminals, and they've weed you out through all the various background checks and right. whatnot. But we've stood up and said, we're actually going to be really different, and we're going to be a bunch of former criminals so that mm-hmm. they get it. So when you talk about the programming of what we do, you can imagine jail the jobs almost as like a pipeline. First, we want to be in jail. Um, mm-hmm. Any lockup facility where a youthful offender could be locked up, whether it's jail or drug treatment centers um, or prison, uh, we want to be able to be there um, regularly uh, with our staff and volunteers sharing the gospel, doing Bible studies. Mm-hmm. The next thing we want to do uh, that's breaks the rules a bit is typically there are uh, organizations that help either inside or outside. But anytime there's a transition, people get lost. Hmm. So we want to work both in and out. Mm-hmm. So when they get out, uh, the next thing, we we have uh, four core needs that we're trying to, we want to meet them spiritually. Um, and then when they get out, we want to um, begin to put support around them, mm-hmm. um, new friends, new people sure. that think differently. Um, then we do a character development, um, and we pour a lot into their character, mm-hmm. um, talking about honesty, talking about hard work, various things like that. The next thing we do is workforce development. So whether that's jumping back into the education you need to do or actually starting to get trained to do some sort of job mm-hmm. so you can start to make money. Because if you, we all need money, and if right. you don't have a legal way to do it, these guys quickly find some illegal ways to do it, and they get right back into the criminal lifestyle. Mm. What we do to solve that problem is we are always hiring, and all they have to do is been arrested and show up and say, "I want a job," and we hire them that day. Hmm. And we teach we treat, uh, teach them a ton of work skills from uh, carpentry to uh, cleaning to landscaping, a lot of construction uh, trades, um, automotive, just a wide variety of things. Hmm. And then, um, if they graduate with us, they can get full time permanent employment with some of our community partners. Mm-hmm. So just think about what he said. If you're out there listening and you have your own job or you're the manager at a job at mm-hmm. a business. And he said, 
the day they get out of jail, you're hired. <laughs> no interview, no application process, no convincing me you know how to work. We literally hired the worst employees on the planet. The worst. The worst. <laughs> Listen, I love them to death. But they're the worst workers. Most of them have never had mm-hmm. a stable job. Mm-hmm. The, the very few that have worked at fast food or whatever, they don't have a work ethic. They don't call in sick. If they don't, if they don't want to come that day, they just don't show up. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly having to teach through these failures to say, listen, you would technically be fired today yeah. if it weren't for us. Right. We love you. Come in tomorrow. We'll try it again. But you're going to have to do it the right way. And then they, they get to mess up with us. Mm-hmm. We give them some discipline, but there's always that availability to come back in through the back door, mm-hmm. through a side door. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's nerve-wracking sometimes. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But, man, when you see them go through that two-month program and then get a job where they're making $12, $14 an hour mm-hmm. and they get promoted, mm-hmm. they call you back and say, they told me I'm working too fast. It, it, yeah. it, it just makes it all worth it. Yeah. It's a uh, it's 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 a big need. Uh, so, but the, our goal really is to teach responsibility mm-hmm. in the most graceful way possible. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's tough. And the last thing we want to do, the, the last hiccup where people can get uh, sidetracked again, is if just their physical needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. Um, Housing, food, right. uh, paying a bill, transportation, coats, so, jackets, uh, we blankets. Do, we do a lot of a lot of that, um, and either finding those needs and filling them ourselves, or partnering with other organizations. Where do you all find the jobs? <laughs> Hard work. <laughs> so <laughs> lots I, of focus. So the jobs that we do, or the jobs that we connect. Uh, <clears throat> so the, the employers, uh, the one that uh, as soon as they walk, the first time you see them, and you say, "Yeah, we'll hire you." Where do those jobs come from? From the shot caller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we get we get really creative as okay. far as uh, trying to basically create micro businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them we handle uh, ourselves. We do a lot of woodworking. Mm-hmm. We do. Um, we can make a lot of uh, house decor and uh, small, simple furniture items that we in turn sell ourselves uh, mm-hmm. to either our donor base or through an Etsy site or various. Uh, other places. Um, we make the coolest cornhole set you've ever seen. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, amazing. I'm interested. Yeah. 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 People Seriously. love it. It's yeah. mahogany yeah. and alder. Um, it's it's really nice. We've created wood Christmas ornaments. We, we, we've done a lot of things. Um, but also send our kids out in some ways too we've partnered with some landscaping companies who will grab one or two of our kids mm-hmm. at a time put them with the crew and or uh they'll say hey we have this special project mm-hmm. you know can you guys come in and we're going to redo and plant you know 600 flowers or right. but there's a reason why there's not 12 ministries doing what we do uh, like coming hard, up yeah. with those things yeah. is is very difficult you have to be creative you have mm-hmm. to stay on top of what the trends and colors and decor items are inevitably you have to be able to sell them like that's that's a difficult thing and and you're trying mm-hmm. to keep a business afloat by doing all of that at the same time you're pouring into them spiritually character character driven and physical right. needs it's difficult it's really difficult it's one of the reasons why we're probably the only one in in this area that's doing anything like that mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we, we also look a lot to our donor base or our partner, either organization or church partners, mm-hmm. just kind of asking, hey, do you have any needs? Maybe we can um, help fill that from yeah. the standpoint of coming in and doing a, a big cleaning or a junk removal. or um, We do a lot of moving of people, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of like movers. So uh, When the rains came and Lake Travis flooded, like we mm-hmm. were down there at the lake with the kids and they were putting stuff on the second floors and, right. and helping people with the water. You just see it come up through their, their, uh, yeah. their house. It was so it's almost like running a temp agency in some ways. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it does sound that way. <laughs> yeah. Plus a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> As the program. With the worst employees ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's talk transformation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking about who these kids are. I love how you just hire them as soon as they come out. And then you got to find a job. They love that, though. When I tell yeah. them, I'm like, listen, you call this number. This is not my work number. This is my cell number. Right. Don't call it at 2 in the morning. Sure. Call it at 8 in the morning, and you have the job that day. For real? Are you serious? And they check me sometimes. They'll call mm. up like, Eddie, remember you said I could have that job? What's up? And I'm like, coming to work? Let's go. <laughs> and it, 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 they love that, though. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's very unique. Well, you're establishing trust with some kids that don't have much trust, I would imagine. You know? Yeah. And that's... Right. Seems real simple, but man, that's huge. Right? Yeah. You said you would do that, and then you follow through. Yeah. If we don't answer that phone call or we don't follow up with them, you're just reaffirming the fact that nobody else cares. Yeah. And and they they believe that already, and so they're trying. They just they have this little bit of hope. They said maybe if I call, he'll give me a job. Mm-hmm. And that's the best part. We don't have an interview process. Mm-hmm. Actually, I I do ask. Have you ever been arrested? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Right. That's our one. That's our one requirement. One disqualifier. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but sometimes you get to see. You know, it, it's it's a difficult job, and I think one day when when I'm sitting in heaven and I turn around and look, and and God's going to show us all what we've done. Mm-hmm. It probably will be very shocking to me how much impact this ministry has had yeah. over the years because you're dealing with some of the hardest cases, and you may never see the fruit of what you do. Because as they grow older and they move on and they, they, you know, you lose connection with them, in their minds, they're like, that was the turning point. Right. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't even see him anymore. Right. So, you know, when we get to see a transformation, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I can remember one kid, I started working with him, and, and one day I was pushing him. We were in this very room, and I was pushing him to try to get him to open up. And I wasn't taking any of his nonsense, and he was giving me real lame answers to questions and, and kind of push him back. And I pushed him too far mm-hmm. and he lost it. He got angry mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up punching the hole right there <laughs> in the wall. It's a little small hole about the size of a knuckle. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wall is very hard, by the way. He did not like that. <laughs> but I took him outside. I said, okay, let's calm down. Let's talk about what this is. And the kid had, had, had gone through some really, really, really difficult things. Um, lost a father when he was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad went in for a normal operation and died mm-hmm. in the operation mm-hmm. and, and and like everything in his life was going well that happened and it just sent him down a spiral he tells me his mom's like sitting at home sleeping all the time um, drinking too much he's like there's no food in the house so I'm going out I'm stealing anything I can find mm-hmm. and it like, lands him in this in the cycle of going to jail and getting arrested and, and doing drugs and and when we met him he was he was very angry very hurt and full of rage Right. And that finally came out. But we didn't give up on him. You know, he lost his cool. He didn't get kicked out of the program. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're like, listen, come back tomorrow. We're going to get you a job. We're going to get you in this thing. And and we've known him for about two years now. At times he was homeless in the program. At times he had a place to stay. But the most consistent thing in his life was us. Mm-hmm. We were always there. He could call us and be like, 
hey, can I come back and work again? The job I had, it didn't work out. Me and the boss didn't get along. Absolutely, let's, let's do a reboot. Mm-hmm. Well, he now has his own place. He has a full-time job. Uh, he's taking care of uh, his girl and his child, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the other day, we took him out with us to go talk to some homeless kids mm-hmm. that live under a bridge at Riverside. Yeah, Literally, they're just under there. They're 17 years old, and they got nothing. Mm-hmm. So we took him with us to go speak to these kids. And he saw one of the kids that he remembered from the program before. He's mm-hmm. like, I know that kid. And he's like, let me go talk to him. So he went over there and talked to him. They were praying with each other and, and kind of hugging. And, and then when he left, um, he, told, he told our supervisor, Jeremiah, he's like, hey, man, I gave that kid my phone because he didn't have a phone. And if he don't have a phone, how's he going to connect with mm-hmm. y'all? And so here's a kid who had nothing. Mm-hmm. He's barely getting by now. And he gave up his own cell phone. For this other kid after mm. he was there sitting there praying with him because he knew what it was like. Mm. And and to me, like, that's him becoming Nineveh, right? It's him yeah. becoming us yeah. and then him giving back to someone else. And so when you see that, it just it encourages you, it fires you up, and uh, it helps you get through the difficult times because there's plenty of them. There's plenty yeah. of them. And then some of the stats that kind of come behind that is uh, really it's a ministry of just uh, consistent faithfulness. So, um, you know, hats off to our volunteers that yeah. um, that consistently show up every week um, in every facility, multiple days a week. Um, so because of that, we run somewhere between 500 to 1,000 Bible studies a year mm-hmm. because of that. We get year to year somewhere between 150 to 350 kids a year accepting Christ through one-on-one evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, we serve a few thousand meals um, a year because people have those needs. Uh, we provide jobs to 70 to 100 kids a year, and because of that, uh, 50 kids last year have permanent full-time uh, full-time jobs, making uh, over twelve dollars an hour. So it's uh, there's just a uh, it's not sort of sexy day to day, but it's just consistent faithfulness makes mm-hmm. a huge impact. Describe to me kind of y'all staff makeup. Talking about volunteers, do y'all have much of a staff? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So we have eight staff. Yeah. Um, like I said, just like Eddie said, all of us have been arrested at some point before. Um, except for our bookkeeper, we want, <laughs> we want that guy to be yeah, yeah, yeah. real yeah. clean. Um, Notice Jesus did not allow Matthew to hold the money. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, he was a tax collector. Probably would have some still, issues. Still the guy he chose. Yes, he knew it was going to be bad. So we wanted our, our bookkeeper to be on the level. Mm. Yeah. I think it's important. So, and the the point of uh, really almost every staff person is you know you have the responsibility of these facilities or uh, mm. this out of jail. Uh, work program here's what you need to do now find a base of volunteers that can come in and support um Mm -hmm. that and so again depending on years and what projects we're doing and whatnot another 150 to uh 300 volunteers a year um will either come in and join us um on a regular basis either weekly Mm -hmm. uh, inside jails to one-time events that we do do the volunteers have to? Have a- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that's the funny part, right? Like the volunteers typically have struggled in the past, but right. most have not been arrested for seven years. Like that, that's, that's where I would fit. Right? That's atypical, right? But they've struggled, and, and they know that. You know, a lot of times when they're they're like, I want to get involved with juvenile prison ministry, right? Like when you think that, like there's something in your life that you went mm-hmm. through 
that you can relate to. And we may not all have the same sins in our lives, but we all have that sin that's ensnared and entangled us, and and we know what it's like to feel helpless. And and I think that's where our volunteers are so good is it can come from completely different walks of life, but walk in and say, hey, I was at the bottom of a valley one day, and Mm -hmm. Jesus helped me out of it. Let me talk to you about this guy, right? And, And I think that's the... The, the link between the two, right? No yeah. doubt. Yeah. And we never want to compromise the safety right. of the young people. Oh, that's big. So we yeah. do background everyone, including yeah. our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and if we see uh, a considerable amount of years of life transformation, then mm-hmm. that's where sort of the trust is built. Yeah. So if somebody wants to partner with you guys, what are different ways, what are the touch points that uh, they can connect with you all and support you guys? Yeah, so... E- you can always go to our website, NinevahMinistries.com. Uh, and if you don't know how to spell Nineveh, you need to read your Bible more. <laughs> it's in the book of Jonah. You'll get it. No, yep. but NinevahMinistries.com. Um, but you can always contact us, too, and, uh, you know, it, all of our information is on the website. But one of the, one of the things, if you want to get connected, there's multiple different levels of connection. You want to do it every week. You want to be in a facility every week, we have that ability. Mm-hmm. Like Chris was talking about, if you want to just help us with an, a special event, there's that ability. Mm-hmm. We, we've even created opportunities where you can come, have a lunch with our kids that are in the job training program, and then leave, mm-hmm. right? But you get to enjoy their company and, and kind of talk about who you are and what you do. And we, we want to create all of these unique possibilities and, and opportunities for people to say, I do have 30 minutes on a Wednesday at lunch mm-hmm. and we'll come and spend it with us. Right. And, and you get to really see what we do. But as always, I mean, it's it's a nonprofit. So we're always in need of support financially, prayer wise um, and volunteers. So if there's something inside of you that's like, I need to get connected, call us. We, we could talk to you about all kinds of different ways where you can come and help us. And a couple of unique ones is uh, even if you're not in the Central Texas area, mm-hmm. you are in Indonesia, but for some reason this connects <laughs> with you, uh, we collect prayer requests from kids in jail and kids mm-hmm. that are working with us every week, mm-hmm. and we distribute that email-wise. So to have a... Uh, cloud of faithful warriors mm-hmm. praying on behalf of kids is a huge support yeah. um, and then the next one if you do live in the central Texas area and you need some work sometimes or you're a mm-hmm. business owner or manager we're always looking to make connections there and to get long term employment for our graduates mm-hmm. so for all the people listening to Kenny's podcast in Indonesia and now yes. you have something you yes. can do <laughs> you too can connect and help <laughs> with this program Definitely. Absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Y'all have shared some fantastic just insight into what y'all are doing. And I want to say thank you for what y'all are doing. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Chris and Eddie did a great job of describing what they do and why they do it. If you want to connect with this ministry in any way, you can find their contact information in the show notes on my website. Go to kennethacamp.com slash episode 55. Again, that is kennethacamp.com slash episode 55. I encourage you to go now, if you're able to, and get their contact information, and then reach out to Chris and Eddie if you resonate with them. Also, share this episode to let others know about Nineveh Ministries. Before I go, if you like this podcast, please follow the link in my show notes to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. 
and leave a rating and review for His Hands, His Feet. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. That will help as well. You can also find His Hands, His Feet podcast on virtually all the popular podcast providers. So thank you. And until next time, this is His Hands, His Feet.